You're listening to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features uh, my friend Chris Wade, who uh, is co-host of the show, music program, and introducing. He's also a producer and occasional uh, host of the Chapo Trap House. You may have heard of them. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about music festivals, uh, happen with music festivals is game outs and scenarios and uh, that'll kind of spiral off in some other different directions as we go along it's a fun conversation chris wade is a good friend of mine in fact uh, he very graciously jumped in to be on this episode uh, i have a bunch of uh you know uh, guest requests that are kind of in limbo right now and i was like oh fuck, i need an episode for wednesday so here he is chris wade uh want to say that this uh this is a wednesday episode so it's a free episode the episodes that come out on saturday are for patreon subscribers only if you want to hear all the episodes it's five dollars a month patreon.com slash fluxblog it up they're good episodes i try to make them all good for you i hope you all enjoy them and also yeah if you enjoy this tell other people about it you know let people know this is uh, not a corporate thing. There's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing behind this really. It's just, uh, it's just me, one man. So, uh, if you want to get this out in the world, please, please uh, spread the word. I really appreciate it. Anyway, let's get to it. Chris Wade. Chris Wade, tell the audience who you are and what you do. Hello, my name is Chris Wade. I am a podcast producer. You may know me from such fine podcasts as Chapo Trap House, uh, a bad podcast for bad people, and a good podcast for good people called And Introducing, uh, which is a podcast about words, about music. Oh man, lovely to hear that catchphrase. The tagline. The tag. Well, and you also have uh, the, uh, the David Foster Wallace one. Yes, I do. I actually just published an episode of that. We, Molly and I, my uh, my wife and podcasting partner, are reading Infinite Jest on mic and then discussing it. Um, she has read the book. I have not. Uh, the whole kind of joke of the project is, uh, you know, after the billionth time people on Twitter got like in a weird rage about men reading Infinite Jest, we were discussing how she is the one who has read Infinite Jest in the relationship. So we decided to that she would read it to me and we would figure out if it was uh, actually good for guys or not. I like that so much of your life now is devoted to <laughs> putting yourself at the center of uh, things where people reflexively go, that's bad. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so far, we're like uh, 150 pages into it. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a funny book. I don't know why people are so angry about it all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's one of those things, a lot of those things where things just get a reputation and then people just decide, I don't like that reputation. Yeah. Uh, or they feel like they need to def define themselves against something popular. I mean, it would make much more sense if uh, you would constantly see tweets like, ladies, if you go over to his house and the only book that he has on his bookshelf is the Turner Diaries, uh, dump him immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, but there's no way of winning that because let's say like you they come over to your place and you've got uh, Joan Didion and uh, you know stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's trying too hard. Yes, exactly. Like what, what is the best uh, case scenario there? Just like a, a beautiful <laughs> mix of all things. Yeah, it's just only uh, a, a a every single book 
ever published by the Penguins Classic series uh, with the spines all broken. So, you know that they have been read multiple times. Right. But you also want to have a lot of contemporary fiction by diverse voices. Oh, God damn it. You're right. Uh, so it's both every Penguins classic and every book that has ever been reviewed by the uh, Oprah Book Club. If you want to be a good person, you have to have purchased or acquired in some way at least 700 books and you have to have visibly read them all. There will be a test. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, it's rough. It's rough out there. You're lucky to be married. Yes, it was the the dating period was just full of pop of weird pop quizzes and reading comprehension checks. Uh, so uh, just to move harshly into another direction, uh, you and Molly, you, you've gone to a lot of festivals in your day. Uh, we have, which is interesting because I kind of became like a festival person in my like late twenties, um, and I guess that it's like. I, I don't know. Festivals, I feel like, get a rap as something that are like the the purview of very young people and kind of derisively put out as like, oh, it's just, you know, these 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 hot teens going places to ignore the music and take Instagram photos for Instagram or whatever. I think but, that's uh, definitely the recent past of it, because I, I think like in the 90s, that would be like Lollapalooza that would lean more people in their 20s. And yeah. I think over time, like as I mean, especially as you have things like Instagram become the mediator of how people even are even aware of festivals being a thing. And it becomes like a an experience you want to show that you had. It does. Will, it, it will go more normy, more young. Yeah. I mean, the funny th- thing becoming like a festival guy at 30 is like just showing up for a festival and being like, damn, this is just a great value. <laughs> I mean, I, for, I mean, it's expensive. Like, I don't know, like a few hundred dollars, four hundred, five hundred dollars for a good festival ticket. But what? I saw see like forty bands. That's like twelve dollars a show. Yeah, I mean, I basically dropped out of festivals probably. I think around the age you are now, uh, or, mm-hmm. or slightly older. I think. I think maybe the the last festival I went to was. I think I was thirty four, and it was just one of those things where uh, it was the governor's ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember who, who are the headliners. I, I know spoon played that. I know. Well, I, I know, I know what the, the really negative experience was, uh, cause I wanted to see disclosure uh-huh. and, uh, I was just being bullied by like, uh, rich teenagers yes. as an adult. Like, yeah. Well, that is, I guess that would be the bad rap. Uh, governor's ball is funny to me because it's like the most hilariously cursed festival basically every year at least one day of governor's ball something happens to make it uh impossible to enjoy either like a torrential downfall or like a headliner artist backs out in the last minute or i was there when it was big mudfield yeah exactly that was just disgusting it's one of the most disgusting experiences i've ever had I went to that. Uh, that was a year before. I think I was 2013. Uh, pretty sure, but yeah, that was just a terrible experience. Like there, there was like some positive things that are mixed in there because that's like the one time I saw Guns and Roses and I was like up close to Guns and Roses. But it was like before Slash came back. But still, oh yeah, well, you know, but they're playing yeah, the Guns but- N' Roses songs and Axl Rose is right there. You can believe it's yeah. them. I mean, when I saw Guns N' Roses at a festival, it was while it was with all of them. But it was right after uh, Axel had like broken his foot, so he had to be in the Rock Throne oh, given right, to him by Dave Grohl. Rock Throne, yeah, which was uh, a little disappointing. But I don't know how much moving Axel was going to be doing uh, so, without that. 
So Governor's Ball is indeed a cursed festival, but it is one of the festivals that is uh, it's, it's uh, saying that it's definitely happening in the year 2021. Like, it, are they still on? Yeah, they're, they're, the tickets will be going on sale soon. Uh, tickets <laughs> from last year will be honored. Uh, it is scheduled for September 24th to 26th at Randall's Island. Not the first festival scheduled at Randall's Island in the month of September because which one? Hold on. Uh, Electric Zoo is the weekend of the 3rd to the 5th. Are, are they bringing Electric Zoo back? I thought they permanently canceled it because too many people died of like Molly overdoses. I, you know, I, or is I, that EDC? That's one of them. Um, I made a list of like the festivals that are like that are planned to happen. Because there's some that have, that have officially canceled, like the the famous Glastonbury Festival has been canceled for the second year in a row. Oh, rip rip to Glastow. I mean, the, it'll come back. Uh, I mean, yeah, but, but it's unfortunate because this would have been, I believe, the 50th anniversary, and that would have been a special occasion. Oh, that's sad. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ultra Miami has canceled. Oh God, where am I going to hear my uh, get all my big booty bounce mixtapes from this year? Yeah, it's rough stuff. Um. But yeah, Governor's Ball is on. Coachella is like penciled in for late October. Yeah. Uh, during uh, fire I season very, in California. I very da- much doubt that um, that'll happen. I mean, I'll, I'll play my hand here. Molly and I have tickets to to that uh, Coachella, which is a yearly thing we do. Uh, you know, I, I'm often embarrassed to say that we go to Coachella in public, especially because I kind of imagine that certain certain elements of the Chapo audience would be extremely judgmental. Uh, right, because like it's that. problematic. Like the guy who runs it, right? Yeah, it is. Who runs everything uh, is problematic, though. You can't win that. <laughs> yeah, ju- gestures broadly at the ruling class. Uh, but you know, it's it's a good time for us because we have a lot of friends out in California, and my mom lives in Southern California, so it's a good chance to take a big trip down there, and we camp but, out and but, see again like forty of the hottest bands uh, in the world for like five hundred bucks. It's a yeah. good. It is actually a good deal. Who's currently big on Spotify? Well, we got them. Um, yeah. So wait, uh, and, but these, these are, you, bought, you bought these tickets for the year 2020. Yes. And they're just still valid. Yes. So I guess like a lot of these festivals are kind of continuing simply because there's already these tickets that have been purchased and otherwise yeah. they have to give up the money. Yeah. I mean, if you've sold $100,500 tickets, that is such a sizable investment. I can't imagine that you, I mean, it's like a, a freight train. You can't just like turn that off. I mean, other festivals that are uh, definitely happening or they say they're definitely happening is the Pitchfork Festival in Chicago and the Riot Fest Festival in Chicago. Scheduled for when? September. That That's that's the thing everyone's banking on, that they can do these things in September and October. And it's such a it's very optimistic, I think. Um, I don't think it's like completely out of the question, but it seems pretty optimistic. My assumption is that if I was, if I had to make a bet right now, I think that things will be opening up and people will be more confident by the fall. But it will still be at a very mixed and confusing time, where the guidelines are very unclear, where rel- where just like this entire thing, people's relative safety will be left to like a series of, of bizarre and barely informed personal value decisions. Uh, and so, events like festivals i assume will be partially like people just saying fuck it i i got vaccinated i'm good to go let's do it 
and then another group of people being like, we are absolutely not ready to be at a festival or, you know, that kind of gathering. Oh, so only small groups, only people inside. I don't, Wait, so but, but we are talking about the festival audience, which uh, skews younger all the time. And those are like the last people being vaccinated. Yes. Uh, and, and presumably the last people like building up a substantial population of, of vaccines. So, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't seem like tremendously realistic that that's going to happen by September, especially, would, you know, but I mean, I think even before considering that you have to consider like, OK, people are buying tickets now. So how many people feel optimistic enough to make that kind of expenditure now? Uh, I certainly don't. I mean, we we were just looking at our. um I mean, I guess I'm giving away talking a lot of personal information. We were just looking at rescheduling our wedding again, which was supposed to be last June and we pushed to this June. But now we're looking to reschedule and uh, we're seeing if it was possible to do it in September. Our venue is all booked up in September. But even for then, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable uh, throwing a big party in September that would require a lot of people to travel across the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the other question about this is like, on the the artist side. So a a lot of these things, like they're saying they're going to have the festival. They're saying it's going to be September, October, but like what artists are willing to do this? Because obviously a lots of them are hard up for money. A lot of them probably very badly want to play because, you know, it's their whole life. Um, But I think there's a huge risk, right? There's the, (laughs) okay. The best case scenario is, the, the vaccinations roll out fine. Everyone comes to the show. It is the most jubilant audience in the world because they're so excited to be seeing live music after all that. after like, you know, like a year. Okay. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. It doesn't seem likely. The, the more likely scenario seems like you get booked on the thing. The show may or may not happen. People in the, you're the people in the world are considering you kind of, you could become a pariah for being like, Oh, they're just like these, they're just, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be super spreader events and they're just facilitating this. These people are greedy. They're, you know, they're, you're a scumbag. Yeah. You, know? you don't want to be like, uh, be like October and having to post an like be Japanese breakfast or someone having to post a note to Twitter being like, we are so sorry for hospitalizing 40 of our fans at the pitchfork festival this year. Wait, did Japanese breakfast do that? No, I'm just saying that that <laughs> okay. is like a scenario that that could happen. I thought that was a news story that I just missed. I was just speculating what my, what September might be like. Right, because all the people who have done like live events have all been kind of, you know, not the cool people. Yeah, your your smashes mouth. Like I made I was tweeting about this topic like the other day and like uh this kind of gaming this out and like some rando like tweeted at me. It's like, well, you know, I can't, oh god, what chud bands that even mentioned? But like, yeah, <laughs> but they're not gonna be booked at like governor's ball or pitchfork that's really not the same conversation we're having here yeah. the question of like who would be booked at this like uh i have to imagine there's a significant chunk of the artists who would be in the pool for those kind of shows and uh probably also for coachella bonnaroo who would be very reticent like not just for like the 
fear of what could happen to their reputation, but also just like anxiety about themselves, their families, their crew. You know, I think there's a lot of artists who are like really unwilling to make that kind of gamble and like rightly so. Yeah. And it, and I think gamble is the right word for it because I mean, that is the thing is that there is, as time goes on more and more of a chance that things will be nice in September, but you have to lock these things in now and making that bet now is based on information we just do not have. Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. There's a, there, the, 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 as far as I can tell, the, the soonest uh, festival that's coming is in May. And oh, God. It's completely sold out is Electric Daisy in Las Vegas. Oh, that, God. That is a super spreader event right there. Not I, it would be funny if they were like, it's OK, it's OK. We only sold tickets to 65 and olders. Yes. <laughs> who would be the DJs? Who, like, who would you get for that? <laughs> I mean, I guess all like the the first gen uh, hip hop guys would maybe be for that crowd. Is DJ Cool Herc still alive? <laughs> I don't believe so. But, you know, that that, that group. Or, yeah, I guess like you would just like who are the living uh, disco DJs? Yeah, exactly. Maybe some classic, uh, maybe you could have a, a, a dub tent and have some some of the older selectors who are still around. Yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, but Electric Daisy Carnival uh, sold out, coming to Las Vegas soon, like way too oh, soon. God, God bless the souls of everybody who attends that. Oh, God. Who, who do you suspect would play like uh, Coachella? Because I feel like there's that that's the one where I feel like, OK, there's enough like opportunistic uh, music industry types who would be like, fuck it, let's just do it and be legends. You know, I think there's a lot of there's probably a lot of like pop and like really like major labely acts and like rap acts. And, and I mean, who would be like that the, crave. I think. Uh, the clear answer is the chain smokers. They already did it once. Book them again. They don't care. our most nihilistic pop back the chain smokers (laughs) yeah i mean it's in their name Mm. uh they're in a way they're more uh fuck it dog life's a risk than uh fiddler i guess the other question about this i know like having thought about the artist end of it and like who who is would buy the tickets it can't be I, I, i just don't think that there's that many people willing to do this i because you know that there's x amount but i just think that that number tops out like you know pretty low relative to the number of people you need to have fill out a coachella that's an interesting question because on one sense i agree with you but on the other on another sense i also think that there would probably be a substantial proportion of the audience who are like yeah i don't care (laughs) i I will go it doesn't matter Uh, i would say that they probably easily could send sell like 80 percent of their tickets right off the bat i mean i guess one of the upsides of only selling like selling less tickets is like oh see we have like room for social distancing that's see that that is the thing but to me it's like that's just so unenforceable at a in a festival setting. It's I guess this is somewhat personal preference, but somewhat like uh, what I would be imagining like putting on a good show is is that if you have to try to do rules like that, you just can't have the thing. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean these are these are kind of to a large extent like anarchy zones, mm-hmm. Especially when you have like when you bring in the factors of like people are camping on the site. Yes. Um, 
you can be as like responsible as you want there, but you are by design share. I mean, you can't have a situation where you have 80, like even if you did half capacity at Coachella, 50,000 people whose only form of bathrooms are uh, porta potties and not have that be a contamination issue in yeah. some way. Like what are you going to sanitize every single porta potty after every single time somebody uses it? I mean, I guess like one of the things that these festivals would have in their favor is that they're outdoor events. So that mitigates factors so much. I, I mean, I feel like indoor shows is, is a much rougher uh, thing for the next year. That is true. But then would they have to outdoorize even their indoor tents? I guess so. I, I mean, I've, I've actually, I don't think I've really been in one of those tents. I, you know, I, and I, I guess maybe a governor ball. I, I think I saw a chance the rapper in one of those things, but I don't think it's, yeah. I, I, I get this sense that at Coachella, they're more just like, a tent like building uh they're they have some fully enclosed rooms usually they throw the um the less popular indie rock acts in an indoor tent right that's where you've seen like got by voices and uh yes. the ocs yeah exactly uh seeing the ocs open for beyonce what a what a truly blessed lineup yeah it can happen yeah it can happen They also have an indoor tent for their like chiller uh, e- electronic acts. So that's like where Yeji would play is like the indoor electronic tent. Right. The chill out tent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like. Yeah. I mean, it's very, because I've lived in New York City pretty much my entire adult life and, you know, lived near New York City all my teenage life. I'm just so used to like literally everyone comes here. So the festivals are not the most enticing things because like everyone's going to play here anyway. Right. So, but I think like when you're going to Coachella, it makes sense to be like, Oh, I'm going to go see all these small bands play these tents because, you know, maybe this is your chance to see the OCs, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, even a group that I might not necessarily go to uh, in like go out of the way, like buy tickets, get on the subway, go to a venue, see a show here. But I would be happy to pick up if I'm just like literally walking by the stage. Like maybe that was a turnstile. Maybe the last time we went, which who I'd always heard were great, but probably would not have like, you know, gone to on a random Wednesday night in the winter if they like toured through here, but was very happy to see their show. What's the yeah? Besides that, like, what is the most impressive thing that you did not intend to see that you've seen at one of these? Um, that I've not intended to see. Um, I don't know. It's going to be hard for me to remember uh, right off the top of my head. Uh, I think one of the first that that comes to mind is the Damned. 
Okay. We were like walking back from like a headlining show and we were like, what's that rock band playing in, playing in that tent? Who's, who's up? And I was like, oh, it's the damned. And like walking in and being like, oh, damn, these guys still rock. Yeah, they still they, they're still doing it. Yeah. And they're still doing it well. I mean, I feel like that's probably like a real endangered species, especially at a Coachella, because it seems like Coachella for a long time was like banking on reunions. And now, you know, they have fully it seems like they're like not interested in anything that would be that terribly old now or maybe or or, or I suppose it just shifts. So it's just all reunions of 2000s bands. Yeah, I mean, they even in the few years since I've been going, yeah, it's been um, slowly morphing away from for the at least the first few years, they would reliably have some things. I'm like, oh, I did somebody like guided by voices where I'm like, oh, that'll be really cool to see those guys play at all. Even if it's, you know, sandwiched in between like, you know, up and coming uh, EDM acts and like before Post Malone live set at the the Sahara tent or whatever. Uh, but yeah, they seem to be moving away from anything with like any kind of a draw for like older indie guys, which I guess makes sense. Yeah, but. I, f- I feel like their experience with like <laughs> whoever talked them into or whoever, whatever facilitated the stone roses being made a headliner. That is uh, so one of the funniest ones. Has, like, very little American audience. And I remember them having to switch it. So blur was headlining over them. And the, the, the very notion that the stone roses would be headlining over blur, a band that actually has American hits is still completely insane. Like that is like, that is the most ride or die stone roses fan in the world. Yeah. Some, whoever, somebody whoever way up in the line. Yeah. It's like, there's no way they're not as important as the stone roses. <laughs> yeah, I, I that that is one of the most baffling lineups that they've ever put up there. But yeah, the that's idea that, time, right? that that was before you started going. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to look up that I think that's 2013. Or that like even for me going now that pulp would be a headliner at a. They they cruise, but not like the festival festival. They were just like high up the bill, I think. Um, yes, they did headline the cruise. Damn, I should have gone on that cruise. Who? Okay, so let's say <laughs> that Coachella happens in uh in October. Who do you even expect to headline? Because I mean, because number one, it has to be something that makes sense, but then it also has to be something that well, they would do it. I mean. They're theoretically keeping the same lineup. Who was it? Who who, it was, who was it supposed to be? Frank Ocean on Sunday, Travis Scott on Saturday. Oh, Travis Scott's the, absolutely still doing it. Yeah, and the re- real reason I was uh, kind of on the fence about going this year at all. I thought that last year might be my last year doing it, but then they announced the Rage Against the Machine and headliner, and I was like, God damn it, I want to see Rage at a festival. All right, uh, we, we we're, we're, like you and I and Molly are supposed to eventually see Rage. They they have they, they have not uh, refunded those tickets. That show is still happening. It's happening. Uh, it's funny because it did seem like of all the people at this, I kind of feel the worst for Rage Against the Machine. I mean, they don't feel bad for them because you know do, Rage Against the Machine doing a tour is just like p- printing money to play the hits. Uh, but it's I mean, like they, they literally a, don't have non-hits to play. They only yes. have three albums. Yes. Uh, but, you know, they've been uh, not touring for like 10 years. They're like finally getting back together. It's like 
there's something about it being like the last year of the Trump administration that it like felt important in some ways, like whether or not you really believe that it's like it, it had some like temporal symbology to it. I mean, when uh, all that was coming together, Bernie was still a possibility. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm blowing up anybody's spot here, but uh, when we were following the Bernie campaign, there was rumblings that if the primary season had lasted longer, that he was like working on that, that there were talks with rage to like do something directly for the campaign, like a show or benefit or something. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Rage Against the Machine are a leftist uh, rock band. <laughs> yes. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't want to don't want to uh, uh, give anything away for for Rage. I, maybe I shouldn't be talking about their political affiliations this clearly in public. I know they try to play that pretty close to the vest. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just don't know what those songs are about. Yeah. Uh, they're just it's a song about uh, some angry cows. These bulls. They're on parade. Well, sometimes you just want to see a bull parade. They're nice. Yeah, they're nice. They're they're majestic creatures. Ah, and you want to rally around the family. Yeah, it's a, a nice. It's about a nice day on the beach. You got a pocket full of shells. here but i do i am genuinely curious what a five-sided fistagon is oh i mean i've always like it's like a, the pentagon right so it's like but it's made out of fists yeah because it's it's violent yeah i guess i don't know yeah. I've, I've never had a clear image on that one it's a it's a cool it's a cool phrase it is yeah i've, I've always really liked uh the just people playing around with like ogons Mm-hmm. Like uh, there, there's a best show joke from like probably like 10, 15 years ago where the, this guy was talking about being a slap fighter and being in these underground slap fighting uh, <laughs> competitions and they would have them in the nonagon. The nonagon. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. the octagon. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> it, but more awkward because it yes. has the ninth side. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I feel like it's more disor. The nonagon is more disorienting than the octagon. It's hard to find, you know, symmetry or, or, or clear divisions in it. So, okay, so let's just assume that now that these festivals are just absolutely not happening because uh, we can't have nice things. We can't expect this to come. Or the vaccination efforts to come together so well so soon. 
I mean, if we're to believe Biden's first announcement is that they're still going for the 100 million in 100 days, which would mean that if on that track, it will take 300 more days at least, like a whole calendar year to get everyone vaccinated. And I honestly can't really imagine going to a festival until I feel that like 90 plus percent of the country is vaccinated. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're going with like the most realistic and miserable option. Uh, How do you think that given some time, given an extra year or so, do you think festivals can be can improve themselves in the wake of all this? Not necessarily in addressing like a pandemic, but just like how can festivals just be better, especially with having the time to work on it? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I would say, I mean, one of the things about Coachella that I, you know, again, I've, I feel like I need to defend myself against like Coachella having a bad rap in the public consciousness is that it is just a, a really well run festival. Like everything goes smoothly. Uh, all the like designations are very clear. And by, by designation, as being like entry and exit points where things are, how you get to places, how to, you know, um, the flow of people, like actually how to get places. Um, I mean, it's expensive, but you know, like m- very frequent food and, and drink options, uh, very possible to get water when you need it. Like, uh, uh, large and well-kept facilities uh, for, for restroom and washing and stuff like that. Um, I mean, generally just keeping good grounds is like such a good uh, element of festivals. Like you just want to be in the space itself, Wait, which I think is one of the, yeah. I have a question about the space of uh, the specific to the, where Coachella is uh, done. Um, how much, permanent infrastructure is there uh almost none it's a giant polo field i find it very interesting that they haven't built uh permanent infrastructure knowing that the festival would be there every year as well as at least two other major festivals yeah i mean i don't know apparently they use it for other things during the um during the rest of the year um i believe they move everything in and out it seems like uh a good idea, if not that specific place, but would be to make uh, a space that is like made to be made to have the permanent infrastructure to facilitate festivals. So you would have like real like bathroom zones. You would have, you know, like stages that are already built and, you know, all these things that could just be there and you just plug and play the festivals. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are certain places that have things like that where they, you know, do touring festivals. You know, in, in the days when like Lollapalooza would tour, you know, um, some in various well, they play like amphitheaters. Yeah, um, and you know, some places would have, you know, theater complexes that's maybe like a theater, and then some like standing facilities, and then like an outdoor like yard space. Um, and that's always nice, but I find those places are usually much smaller. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think one of the, the great advantages to something so big as Coachella is that it can be so spread out and open and nothing is ever like feeling uh, small and constrained. Because I was going to say that's one of the, the downsides to almost every New York festival is that there is simply not a good permanent festival space in New York City. Um, yeah, the Randall Island is pretty much the best we've got. And it's kind of crummy. Uh, 
I mean, it's nice that we have a space like Randall's Island, but it is like kind of a crummy festival space. And like I was saying, like the uh, even things down to like the ingress and egress parts of it are like not um, very clear or easy to find and use. And like then you get in and the space feels kind of small and constrained. Uh, yeah. There's just not that many places to go in it. So you kind of end up feeling it can lead to feeling like a little claustrophobic. Have you ever been to Liberty State Park? Uh, uh, I have not. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit better. I, I, I haven't been there in a long time, though. But uh, I, I know I've seen Radiohead play there. Um, and I know they've had uh, festivals. And like uh, that might be a little better. And you can kind of take a ferry from Manhattan to it. But it feels like it's, it, it's a very tough prep, uh, proposition to have a music festival in New York City that is not extremely easy for people to get to without cars. Yeah, I, I already mean, feel like these spaces are already difficult enough as it is. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you could do like Floyd Bennett Field, but the problem with that is it's all paved. And we know from our stories of Woodstock 99 is that you don't want people like baking on a hot airport landing strip all day. Make it easier for people to smash their skulls on the pavement. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, people... They also tried like the panorama thing. I think that was in like Queens. That was like a like the where the the big globe thing is. <laughs> you know what yes. I'm talking about? Yeah, like, Forest Hill, right? It's where the World's Fair was like many yeah. many years ago. The the place in Men in Black where the uh, UFOs are kept. That's where we keep them. Yes. <sighs> yeah, this, this is all kind of abstract to me because like the going to a festival is such a tough sell to me, especially now that I'm in my early forties. So I'm like really aged out of it. Right. Uh, but I think I, I've always been kind of like nervously hoping that I don't have to, I don't get my like uh, arm twisted into going because like one of the few things where I would be like, oh, they got me. I have to go to that. Well, what would those be for you? Pavement. I'd have to see pavement. If it was like, do it was like getting back together and they were only doing festivals. Well, I mean, Pavement was supposed to play two festivals in Spain and Portugal uh, in 2020, uh, the Primavera festivals. Oh, I think I was looking at that. And I think that, you know, if there had not been a pandemic and money was right, I I was like, hmm, I've always wanted to go to Spain. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that would be dope. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to go to a festival, like, I suppose going to one in Spain is probably the better way to go. Mm, but, man, uh, I'm just thinking of like how good the festival food in Spain would be. I'm imagining a, yeah. a like a delicious a festival paella. Have you been to Spain? I have not. I would like to go to Spain. I would honestly, yeah. I would like, love to go to the Primavera spe- Festival. I bet that is chill as hell. Yeah. Would you prefer the one in Spain or Portugal? Um, I've heard, Spain, I've seen it. Yeah. A lot of people I know who, especially people who have been like uh, touring musicians, they always have extremely good reviews of Portugal. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Portugal is like one of the new hot places to go to. It's kind of got like the new Iceland vibes because I think it's a little like cheaper. And I think also, they do. It's a warmer and nicer place to be, frankly. Oh, than Iceland? Well, it's, you know, different vibes. If you like the, the yeah. kind of like otherworldly Arctic vibe of Iceland versus, you know, uh, Medi- Mediterranean beach vibes of of Portugal. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like different por- parts of my life, I would have leaned more like, oh, Iceland sounds dope. I've, I've not been to either, um, but I think 
because especially in the past year or so, I've become a much more outdoors centric person. As have we all. Yes. Well, not as we all. I know plenty of people who literally have barely left their homes in the past year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I get very anxious for those people because it seems like not a healthy way to live, though you're convincing yourself that it is. You got to go outside. You got to You got to get fresh air. You got to, you know, it's you're not going to get it just from walking down a street unless you're being profoundly uncareful. But, you know, um, but yeah, the idea of a festival in Portugal or Spain, that seems much more enticing. Uh, not so much England. <laughs> I would I would like to go to I might have missed my age window to it, but I would have loved to go to Glasgow just because it um, seems so <laughs> unpleasant, but it is like so legendary. I will say uh, when Chapa was touring uh england the last time uh, and we did some shows in manchester as we were um as we were uh checking out of the manchester hotel the lobby was just filling up with like i would say like 19 year old girls you know like tanned to the color of burnt toast in like tiny dresses and I gathered from overhearing them that they were like all getting ready to go to a festival and like like uh, all dressed in like neon festival gear, like tiny festival outfits. And I look outside and it is a predictably gray, 55 degree rainy Manchester day. And I'm like, this is this is not the vibe for me. I think and we've already seen some versions of this and some trial balloons for this. But I think that. The, re- the the music industry is definitely going to start having festivals that are aimed at people who are you know currently millennials just because the uh the demographic just likes going to festivals yeah so i feel like like they'll probably just be you know you know like a, a, a not like a, a middle age old cella yeah i mean i'd be i'd be down for that uh people people from your um like like strokes and pixies ish fandoms right i mean like bands from the i would say from like the late 80s through the mid uh to late aughts yeah <laughs> like, and maybe like a few bands, like new world made for them but the, the thing is that i think especially for maybe millennials is that you would then want to also throw in some like new currently hot bands because i think it, it would be especially for this age cohort important to be to feel like you are participating in current pop culture, at least slightly, you know, oh, right. but, but, but they would be like bands that are already aligned with those aesthetics. Cause yeah. there's always like, you know how like there's always like new indie rock bands and like, they'll be like, Oh, Hey, it's remember those old indie rock bands. This is like one of the new versions of it. <laughs> yes. Or stuff that's I mean, like that's, currently that's been a major vein in the past five years. Uh, um, or just like even looking at the, the Coachella 2020 lineup, you'd throw in like your, your King gizzards and the lizard wizards, stuff yeah. like that. Or, or, you know, a classic, uh, I feel like right in the pocket of like a new thing that would allow like a 30 year old to feel hip, uh, run the jewels. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they're not like those, super those new. Guys yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the festivals that is scheduled to happen is the Riot Fest and Riot Fest is definitely aimed at, uh, yes. young Gen X to older millennial that I would think that would be the sweet spot for Riot Fest. Yeah. I mean, every year when they drop the Riot Fest, uh, lineup, I'm like, damn, should I go to Riot Fest this year? Yeah, because it's because and they that's also a festival that's like nope, we just do rock bands. 
Uh, wait, the, the, the signifiers of the signifiers that I listed for like this set, uh, I mentioned Pixies and Run the Jewels, both of whom are headlining Riot Fest. Yeah. Oh, so you have the, the, the Riot Fest from last year. Who else was on, who else was supposed to play it in 2020? Uh, let's see, uh, the Pumps, Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. I was Uh, like, who are the Pumps? I mean, there's gotta be a band called the Pumps. Yeah. I mean, if not free band name. Uh, and then a bunch of the like uh, mid aughts, like uh, pop punk emo stuff, Coheed and Cambria, Taking Back Sunday, um, My Chemical Romance, Simple Plan. Okay. My Chemical Romance and the Smashing Pumpkins? Yes. That is, that is like the same band for two slightly different generations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ooh, Toots and the Maytals. I would watch them. Oh, that can't be happening now because th- didn't the the main guy die? A oh, few did Toots ago? die? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, so. I didn't I didn't hear about that. Rip. Um, ooh, La Savvy Fave. I would love to see a La Savvy Fave concert. Oh, I, I saw them a few times in the in the aughts. I, I mean, actually, I, I think maybe the the first real festival I ever went to was uh, one of the I think the first Pitchfork festival that was in Chicago before it was even called that it was called the Intonation Festival. That the I remember. Period. I remember that. I think I was, yeah, I was in, in Chicago around those times. You were you were just a young student. Yes. <laughs> I mean, those were my first festivals. I saw, um, I believe my first festival was one day of the 2007 Lollapalooza where I saw undeniably, I mean, one of the best concert experiences of my life, which is seeing LCD sound system uh, playing on their uh, Sounds of Silver tour. Uh, as the sun went down uh, and just being uh, blown away by them. I think that was the second time I saw them. And then literally turning around 180 degrees as the LCD finished uh, and the sun like went completely down, like turning my body around 180 degrees and Daft Punk's light pyramid lights up and Daft Punk plays. Suddenly they're playing your house. Yes. I just realized as you were saying that, like, <laughs> I, I, James how, wrong, like how, how wrong I was about that being one of my first festivals. Just like, no, not at all. Like the first... I think I'm, now I'm pretty certain the first festival I went to was Tibetan Freedom concert in Hell 1997 yes. uh, at Randall's Island. And uh, I went to only one day of that. And it was I did not go to the day that had pavement and blur because I had to uh, compromise for the friend who was bringing me. Uh, and that I saw U2. It was the only time I've ever been like super close to U2. And uh, Radiohead played that. And uh, who else was on that one? But you know, it's like it's like you know, it's a little, 1997. It's 1997 stuff. And then I also saw like the a year later the Tibetan Freedom concert in Washington D.C. at RFK Stadium. And uh, you know, I also went to like the Siren festivals that they used to have for free out in Coney Island. I went to a few of those. Those were great. I think I saw Ted Leo at one of those siren festivals. It's a, that's another thing that like should work. But again, the space, like I, I really love the idea of doing a music festival centered around Coney Island. I love Coney Island's vibes, but I got, I've said vibes so many times in this podcast. I, do, I hope it uh, doesn't come off as like my only word, but I mean, that's what it's a curation of vibes, you know, if, if we say vibes, like, like literally 30 more times before we stop, then it's only half as many times as you would say vibes in an episode of time crisis. <laughs> okay, great. Well, as long as I'm, I come in under those guys. Uh, but, but that is, I mean, I think that's what, when you ask me like, how do I improve festivals? It's really like, it is a curation of vibes. And all I can say is that you just, the, you just have to make the vibes good. And when like, 
And I think that it has a lot to do with the facilities. And that's what I was going to say about Coney Island. Like the, conceptually, a, mu- a music festival with like not huge bands because you can't get huge crowds there, but like good, cool mid-level bands like sounds like a great idea. But the space there is just not good for making that happen. There's not a lot of flow of movement. There's going to be too many people who are there, but not for the thing. Right. Um, and that was, I think, one of the bigger problems of that festival. And also part of why one of my favorite memories of it was also probably something that whoever was doing that festival, who was ever running it, it was probably a nightmare scenario. But I remember going to, I think, the first one they did. And this would be around like 2002. I was in my very early 20s. Mm-hmm. And Peaches was performing. And, you know, Peaches is Peaches. And, you know, <laughs> But, but, but she's like so where the the stage is like just um this like a few like over a fence is where kids are like on a on like a teacups ride (laughs) (laughs) it's like there there are there's like a rides for children like immediately next to the stage and like so you have peaches doing peaches songs which is already bad enough for children (laughs) but there's a point where she she climbs up on top of the PA and starts like shouting at the audience and she's pointing down at the kids on the teacups and she she screams and I will never forget these words my name is peaches and I am a fucking professional <laughs> uh, and you know they, I'm sure there were complaints <laughs> that I think helps a good festival is like that sense that when you are at one of the shows or watching one of the shows is that you are in it and the people there are like largely there like locked in and seeing the show. And I honestly think that this is another thing that like the spacing and the set designs at Coachella actually do a pretty good job of is like keeping away that sense that your people are just like wandering by and not really engaged. Like when you're watching something, you can feel like locked into it and not just like, uh, you're standing motionless while a crowd of people are walking past you or something like that, which I feel is a good way to make the whole thing uh, feel less good or intimate and probably also feels really distracting for the performers who you can kind of tell uh, when they can tell that people aren't really there to watch them. What is the most memorably awful performance you've seen at a festival? Uh, Eminem, maybe? Oh, this would have been a couple years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
we were i mean i was pretty excited to see eminem i mean i i, I eminem. just to see just the oh there there he is there he is that's eminem uh but he was so like it was just like a, a very bad misjudge of what he needed his his shtick to be because uh he does love playing the the underdog and like the most hated and like the media's enemy number one which is great like i i love you want eminem to be like yeah, I'm here, and everybody's gonna everybody's gonna be furious at the things I say. Uh, but his whole like attitude was like nobody loves old Eminem anymore. So uh, he's like a sad sack and defensive loser. Yes, exactly. And then he had like a video of like like Jimmy Kimmel doing like one of his like late night shticks as like an in- intermittent video. It was not. It was not good. It was like it was all kind of sad, and I felt bad for him because I genuinely want to like Eminem. Uh, I will say that the best moment of this, and and my pitch for Eminem, if I could get in his uh, ear, uh, was when he played Rap God. Not just because it's an impressive lyrical feat from him, but because Ruben's backing track has that kind of like EDM banger vibe to it, and that fit in really well there. If I was, uh. Eminem's manager right now. I would be on the horn with every EDM producer uh, in the country, and with M being like, "Get why, why don't you get Eminem here to just drop a verse on one of your EDM bangers? It'll rock." It's it's like a, I mean, his, his verses are like fucking guitar solos of 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 musical musical energy when he's do, when he's doing them right. I think that's good advice for a lot of rappers who are a little past prime. This liberty gibbity hibbity hip hop. You don't really want to get into a piece of match with this rapidity rat pack and a mac in the back of the yak pack pack rap rap yap 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 giddy yak nap the exact same time I attempt these lyrical acrobat stunts while I'm practicing that I'll still be able to break a motherfucking table over the back of a couple of faggots and crack it in half. Only realized it was ironic. I was under aftermath after the fact. How could I not blow? All I do is drop F bombs. Do my wrath of attack rappers are having a rough time period. Here's a maxi pad. It's actually disastrously bad for the whack while the masterfully constructing this masterpiece. I'm beginning to feel like a rap guy. All my people from the front to the back, not back, not. Now who thinks that arms are long enough to slap box, slap box? Let me show you maintaining this shit ain't that hard, that hard. Everybody wants the key and the secret to rap immortality like I have got. Will there be true for the blueprints? Still be raging, youthful exuberance. Everybody loves the room for a nuisance. Hit the earth like an asteroid, did nothing but shoot for the moon since. MCs get taken to school with this music because I use it as a vehicle to bust the rhyme. Yeah, I lead a new school full of students. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like when you're Eminem and like, like you're so enormously successful, like, I don't know. Like, what do you have to prove? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of what I was left feeling like when I walked away from that Eminem set was like, what do, what do you want, Eminem? Like, why are you even here? Which is not a good feeling to be feeling when you're walking away from a headlining set at a festival. I think Eminem kind of has a similar problem as like a band like U2, maybe the Rolling Stones too, where you have like this incredible level of success, but you're still like a fundamentally very competitive person. And you want to, you know, keep proving that you're the big boy. You're the biggest boy there is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there, there is a point where I, I feel like the first couple of times you do that and you prove it, it's like, wow, you know, but then when you keep trying for it, it becomes more desperate. Like it's it's so unfortunate that how the sheer number of people who's now their main association with you two is that stunt with Apple. And yeah, it's, like, and, uh, it's it's so depressing. 
but and especially because and it also feels like a little unfair because it was like this very generous gesture of like hey here's our album for free but because of the nature of Apple's system, it became uh, more of a nuisance than uh, a gift. Yeah. And and the fact that it was involuntary and kind of invasive. And it's also like if it was. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If it was if it was a, a thing where like, hey, here's the new edition of iTunes. And if you with one click, you can get the new Apple, the new U2 album for free. Like that would be one thing. But just like waking up and it's like. Bono had snuck into your house and like downloaded his app <laughs> and uh, his moved, album and on your, your phone. Around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there was something. Um, it, I think they thought that it would be a fun novelty, but it had this weird uh, subtext of like invasiveness and a violation of like privacy and even personal agency. Yeah. Well, uh, it, associated with another it. Another thing that's rough about it is you think about just the phrase like, oh, we're giving away a record for free. Everyone can hear it. Like now that's like everybody does that every week. That's exactly. That's true. So they were just on the edge. Like that is uh, that happened in 2013 or 2014, which is just where like the audience, like the, the where Spotify is really starting to catch on in America and things like that. It's right where like that was becoming the, the turn, the shift over to that was happening. And it's just so rough. Yeah. To think about it. Like it's like what, what would, wouldn't so even so, especially in the context of now someone forcing this thing onto your phone seems much more invasive simply because the idea of having something that you download that you normally would have paid for is now an increasingly alien concept. Yeah. Um, but just thinking of like this U2 thing and like Eminem's bad festival set, I, I always feel like it's a very difficult a dicey position to get in for a, a musician when the only person they're competing with is themselves. Because yeah. then, I mean, sometimes it it gives total freedom to people and like some people handle it better. But then at the same time, so I feel like some other people feel like they constantly need to be defeating themselves in some way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like so what ages well like what who are like the what what kind of connects all the artists who continue to have success with everything they do and they you know i feel like it's the ones who don't make everything a flex you know yes like think about, okay so i know you're not a fan of radiohead but radiohead's a really good example of a band that has like stayed consistently popular and you know artistically relevant through their through like uh, like 30 years now thereabouts i was gonna i was gonna bring them up as like one of the few people who like do this well who who become like the undeniable like biggest most respected thing and like never seem to trip over it yeah and i think it's because they're not trying to show off they're just trying to always explore different avenues of what it means to to be radiohead right and you know they 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 make classy decisions they like they seem they 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 seem very invested in not embarrassing themselves <laughs> or or, yes. or like or look at beyonce so beyonce is kind of uh pretty deep at her career now so she's you know like 20 something years but she's only made herself like more respectable over time and I don't really see Beyonce screwing that up. I see her kind of doing the same thing as Radiohead. And you can kind of look at things that Radiohead and Beyonce have done that have certainly been flexes, but they're not like lame flexes. It, or, or I think yeah, it's, it's, it's the difference between one where like putting out the two albums in one year, like that's you know that's just that that's a flex, but it's also just like which here's more songs. No, you want more songs from me? Uh, which is I feel like Beyonce kind of 
I, I was thinking about the difference between Beyonce's surprise album drop and uh, U2's surprise our albums on your phone. You know, yeah. Like one one has this uh this connotation of just like it, it's a flex and like I don't need to promo this. I don't need to announce this. I know that everybody is implicitly waiting for new Beyonce album, and boom, now it's available, and people are gonna freak out. Other regardless of <laughs> or and the other ones like uh. You don't even know that you want this, but we're going to make sure that you have it all uh, the, uh, already. You know, it, there's a, there's a difference there. Do you remember how that was announced? The Beyonce no, album, the U two thing. Uh, no, I don't you remember. Know, I, it's, I mean, I probably absorbed it over Twitter. You know how Apple has those events where they're like, and now we're doing this. It was that one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, hey, and guess what? U two's on your phone already. <laughs> <laughs> Look behind you. You two standing standing right there. Yes. You cannot escape Bono. He will now chase you around. <laughs> yes. You open your closet door and boom, the edge is in there. He's doing a guitar solo. Yeah. You wanted this, didn't you? It's like, I don't like you two. It's like, yeah, you're going to. You're going to like her 14th album, which is not tremendously good, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's it, That's the other thing that always gets me about that specific album is that it's really one of the most low-key albums I've ever done. And it's really just like a meditation on their youth and like reconnecting with like the kind of post-punk stuff from like how they got into things and like the first like the the first song on it is just like a song in tribute to joey ramone it's just like yes like this record if they had just done like a super low-key like hey uh, like more of a a a release cycle that was just like focused on like interviews and things that are like hey this is the u2 story and like hey they're looking back and like we want to tone things down we want like if they just said pushed it in that direction they would have gotten yeah. so much more appreciation for it face down on a pillow of shame there's some girls with a needle trying to spell my name my body's not a canvas my body's now a toilet wall But on the other, it, but uh, I mean, I, we're spending so much time on this. But it is so funny in retrospect. If you're like, I don't know, a, a 15 or 16 year old on your first iPhone, and you like open it up one day, and you're like, a fucking U2 song about Joey Ramone. What the fuck is this? I don't care. These are like two things that I specifically don't care about, rolled up in one and forced upon me. Do you think there is any artist who could have done that specific thing, and it would have worked for them? Drake at that time. <sighs> So yeah, that would have been around the time. Like, hold on, I'm coming home. Yeah, I still think that if, I feel like because people were so bitchy about how do I get this thing off my phone, yeah, uh, or whatever. Like, I feel like I don't know. I, I don't know if like how much goodwill anyone could have 
that wouldn't annoy people because I think the truth of everything, no matter how popular it is, there's tons of people who hate it regardless. So yeah, it's just, you don't want to force your art thing on anyone. That's not good. It's going to make you look weird and desperate no matter what it is. Yeah, I mean, because you think about that, that thing with U2, U2 is like one of the most popular rock bands that has ever existed worldwide. Like no question about it. But if you really think about it, the number of people who hate you two outnumber the people who like you two. Yes. And to have all emphasis placed on that category of people, like (laughs) there's no way you can win. It's just one of the most tremendously misguided promotional things. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> in my lifetime yeah and it's funny because like they have a whole history of that but that is absolutely number one on the list i mean they are the what we were talking earlier about like or i was talking earlier about being the only person you're competing with is yourself and they are the number one guys who seem to get tripped up on that i i was talking with some of my friends yesterday about the rock uh and i find the rock very fascinating but one of the things that my, these friends of mine you're are talking are fascinated about Dwayne with, the rock johnson or the movie the rock Dwayne the rock johnson yeah uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but one of the things that this these two friends and I are particularly fascinated with is how on his Instagram he always has to find new metrics of success and then brag about them. So like when he had movies coming out, when movies still come came out, he would like post Instagram posts that that are like uh, that are like uh, I I am so happy to announce that Rampage has just broken the record for three-day release in during summer in china number one three-day weekend release in the summer in china of all time and it just has to find this like very specific measures of success he's breaking right now he has a post up from a few days ago that just says i this one means a lot to me uh and it's a picture that just says of his tequila brand terramana tequila that just says number five tequila next to it you try this tequila uh, I, ha- I have a bottle of it in my house right How now it's great. Uh, but there's no source for that. No, like tequila magazines, uh, number five tequila uh, or, te- or or liquor connoisseurs or anything. It's just a picture of a bottle of tequila that says number five tequila next to it. <laughs> On what list? <laughs> Is it a list there's of sales? No- Is it a list of acclaim for a specific magazine? Which magazine? <laughs> there's no no reference to it no uh no citation in the comments or anything uh just a hashtag that says hashtag terramana hashtag tequila of the people hashtag top five top five what and it and that just reminds me of like kind of something about that reminds me of you two in in a way where they're like we've got to be the top five something doesn't matter what everything's just got to be the best and the only people they're competing with is like their last release their last tour their last Ooh. Uh, you know, whatever they try to frame it humbly, like when uh, they put out all that you can't leave behind, uh, which is now uh, 20 years ago, um, they would go around because it's like when they're coming back from pop uh, and like that whole era was kind of a kind of a flop era for you too. Um, but they were like he, Bono and on, on stage and in interviews, any chance he got like his catchphrase, like, we're reapplying to be the best band in the world. <laughs> that's such like a politician speak well, i mean he like bono really is like if a politician could be a rock star then that is exactly him i mean he, he, he that's also around the time where he really is spending a lot of time with politicians and hanging out with like because mm-hmm. he's doing like the the aids campaigns and all that stuff and he's done really good work for that i don't really want to put uh you know uh diminish that but <laughs> 
but yeah, like, he, but, you know, he's a person who's spent like a fair amount yeah. of time, like trying to talk George W. Bush into doing AIDS relief. <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I like, I, don't get me wrong. I like Bono. I like all those guys. I like you, you too, but there is something about that pathology or, you know, what? like while we're relating it to just branding things, do you remember when, was it Domino's or Papa John's that like did that ad campaign that was like, Hey guys, we know our pizza sucks. <laughs> We're shutting. <laughs> this was, I, I'm pretty sure this was Domino's. We're shutting down for a whole week to make our pizza suck less, and then you should come back and have our non shitty pizza. Yes, uh, this is like what, like this is like two years ago. This is pretty recently. Yeah, it, it, there's there's something about that that where you two our pizza is absolutely dog shit and we know it so you know back to square one you know we've got we we've we've got like literally three thousand pizza stores throughout the united states and canada and we are we're gonna we're just gonna do our best we're gonna we're gonna we've decided to make the sauce good (laughs) yes and we we hired the best food scientists in the world and put them to work for two years. And when they came back with the recommendation, make the sauce good, we took we took it. We were like, but we it was ketchup with basil in it. <laughs> well, there's your problem. Mm. But yeah, there's some, something like like that energy with the energy with which you two every time they come back, they're like, they yeah, we're reapplying to be the greatest rock band in the world. Can you imagine it, like? 10, 15 years in the future, you and the Chapos are still doing it. It's, it's, it <laughs> seems possible. It seems pretty likely that you're still going to be doing it. Um, and you're kind of in this position of trying to be like, hey, we're still the best. <laughs> like, because uh, like, I think like when you kind of put yourself in the situation of trying to reassert your own greatness, it it's, it seems very hard not to embarrass yourself, and also it just seems like when you put yourself in that position, it's like, oh my god, that's terrible and impossible. Yes, well, that's why I don't think that we would ever say that we're the best at anything. I would say that our our energy is maybe more like a jam band type thing, like a fish, where it's like we have our people, we know that our people love us, and we know we are great by the amount of people who are. You oh, know, I, big fans. I think you're actually Pearl to. Jam because, like, Pearl Jam would have like those couple years where they're like the biggest band in the world, but then they just kind of keep going. Whereas, yeah, Fish never had like, or, or any of those jam bands, even the Grateful Dead, never had that thing of being like really like like a big cultural moment. Whereas, I think you guys yeah. do have that cultural moment, and it's sort of an albatross in many ways. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's the good and the the albatross of like. Uh, making a large number of people irrationally angry at us forever. But the upside is garnering a large number of people who know about us and like what we do. And we can kind of like keep doing it for, for the fans. I mean, I know especially uh, uh, Will Menneker extols the, uh, the fuck the fans mentality, uh, which I, I only, which I agree with to the uh, extent of like, we shouldn't be doing anything or making creative decisions with the fans in mind. We should only be doing things, that we like yeah. and and fo- that we follow because that is what will make the show good.
I think another possibility for your own future is so I've been a little fascinated with the Eagles recently and the Eagles have like a fascinating okay. story. I mean, have you ever watched like the documentary about the Eagles or anything like that? Uh, I have the, the, not. The Eagles it has like one of the most interesting dynamics of any band ever. So at any given. But I do think I've seen. Don Henley, just Don Henley perform at like um, a Blue Ash Ohio Ohio Fourth of July festival, maybe. Uh, I'm going to try to like explain the Eagles as succinctly as I can. So the Eagles start; (laughs) they're they're always kind of a band of four, four, four or five guys. Every person in the band writes songs and sings songs, but Don Henley, who is the drummer, and Glenn Fry, who is guitarist, and they both sing. They are the dominant figures. They like they dominate the songwriting and they dominate like the the machinations of the band, and uh, they just start like you know like they start pushing guys out and like new guys come in and replace them and then those guys get pushed out and you know at this point like the Eagles because Glenn Fry also died a few years ago so like the official members of the Eagles mm-hmm. as they are in the year twenty twenty one is uh, Don Henley, Joe Walsh, who came in like really close to the end of the original run. And then uh, Timothy Schmidt, who joined at the last minute of that band. So like it's like, so it's him and two guys who replaced two other guys, other guys, three other, (laughs) three other crucial members have been like excommunicated. Like they will, they won't even talk to those guys. Uh, and just bitter, like like the Don Felder in particular, just like has been trying to sue them for ages. Um, and uh, Glenn Fry's son has has been now awesome. his, is a touring member, and the country singer Vince Gill is a touring member. But it's but yeah, but I could imagine a version of Chapo in the future where Chapo is becomes uh, Will Menneker. You <laughs> who came in late, <laughs> and then another guy who hasn't even joined Chapo yet, <laughs> and yes. like Matt and Felix, they are completely ex. Like they're, they're just like yeah, they're, they're like they're, they they have a uh, extremely bitter associations with Will, <laughs> you know, like things like that. <laughs> like, like yeah, like Virgil's long since fired. Amber, Amber quit in a rage. <laughs> David Roth is like a touring member only like the offstage guitarist. One of my favorite yeah. ideas. Yeah. So like, I think you could just have like this thing where like 20 years from now, it is like this completely uh, unrecognizable thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have like some guy who's not even born yet. Who will eventually be like one of the main guys. <laughs> it's very funny to imagine. I, I love how these like older rock bands will have their sons come in and do That's parts of it because it's very now. funny to imagine like, like it's like you just raised yeah, this child like, like wolfgang uh van halen and and uh, uh what's his the, the uh, glenn fry's son i can't remember his, his name but yeah, there's there's a lot of guys like this it's a whole you could make a whole league of these guys it's very funny to imagine if, like 40 years from now if uh certain like legendary podcasts are running like if uh if a uh, comedy bang bang is is what done by like Josh Ackerman. Well, I mean, there's uh, there's sort of an example of that is you know uh, Bennington, like Ron Bennington, like the the radio guy. Uh, like no. he's like kind of like I wouldn't I don't know if he's really a shock jock, but he's like in that kind of zone. Uh, he's like kind mm-hmm. of like the cool guy in that zone who's like not a jerk. <laughs> but I know that <laughs> like uh, his 
he used to have a show with a guy called Fez, and for whatever reason, that guy isn't doesn't do the show anymore. So now he does the show with, with his daughter. It, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, if you can make it work, I, I, I honestly, it is a funny phenomenon to like train your kid to be your replacement in a the very hyper specific skill of being in a band. <laughs> uh, but we we were just doing a a, a f- we did a Frank Zappa and introducing episode yesterday where we end up uh, like our guest had been auditioning for the Dweezil Zappa band. And, you know, we were talking about like, God, God bless Dweezil for being the guy that like kind of keeps that music alive. That, that's kind of like the Marley. It's in, like having the, the Marley sons. Yeah. But you know, it is just a very weird and interesting. Phenomenon. Well, it's the family business, right? It is the family business. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I but it's, it's so much weirder to be the family business of being like a legendary guitarist rather than like a dentist yeah, or like a construction company or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a pool resurfacing I mean, company. The cooler, the cooler way of being it. I mean, but also like I know, like if you have a child and you'd be like, well, you know, if all else fails, you could just join the podcasting family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Weird to think about, but it, it's, uh, uh, you know, the your child could potentially, you know, rely on that nepotism. Potentially. I mean, they'll certainly have enough microphones and recording equipment around. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things where you don't have to be great to have the nepotism work for you. But music is kind of hard. Like, you have to be able to play. Like, the Glenn Fry's son has to be able to sing the Glenn Fry parts, which are not, you know... Glenn yeah, Fry's exactly. a good singer. Um, or I'm, I'm thinking of this like in, there's not a lot of this in comics, for example, but there's one really famous example. There's a couple actually, but um, but it's you can't fake drawing really. So like uh, one of the original like major Marvel artists was a guy called John Romita, and his son John Romita Jr. Uh, is became a huge artist in his own right. And I realized recently, like, oh, God, John Romita Jr. has been doing this as longer than I've been alive. And he's still, like, a relatively young man. Like, <laughs> he started uh, drawing uh, comics for Marvel Comics around the time he was, like, 17 or 18 years old. Um, he was just, you know, <laughs> raised. And I think, like, like having, like, yeah. his master be your dad probably put a lot of pressure on him. But, you know, he... But also gave him access to great training and also access to the industry. And, you know, eventually the art styles are like pretty drastically different. But, you know, yeah, but you can't really fake drawing. You can't fake being a a highly talented comic book artist. It's it's a very specific skill set. Whereas I think you could absolutely fake a lot of the way people kind of become nepotism cases. Like, like you can just be like a mediocre actor. You can just, you know, be like, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of people (laughs) all the way. God, why don't we just stop for a minute and just list 100 ways you can be a nepotism case. (laughs) That'll be very exciting. Well, I was thinking about this. I can, I think I can, uh, draw this back around to uh, festivals, do, and, and then we can wrap like it up. That. Because... Oh, I have, okay. Then I have two points I want want to say about festivals. Uh, but first, starting with the nepotism, I was thinking about this recently, and I honestly think that the most honorable, one of the most honorable and least embarrassing moves that you can make if you are like a famous actor or famous musician's kid is to become a DJ, because I really don't feel like you're stepping on anybody's toes there. 
you can just it, it it's like a totally reasonable thing to do that is like a skill where people will like pay you to show up at parties and if you're like relatively decent at it, it it's like one of those things that that you can be like mediocre at and be valued for for your relation to something famous that uh, I don't think it is going to like necessarily upset anyone. In a lot of cases, people are going to want uh, you at that party anyway. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if you're if you're looking for a career move, and you're like you have the, I mean, I don't want to call it too much of a burden because you're the, the what is the burden of being somebody's famous? But but you're trying to like do your own thing. I would say the move is become a hmm. DJ. I'll, I'll tell my children to do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the one last thing I wanted to talk about festivals because I just I'm still looking at this the Coachella 2020 lineup is that it's very funny to me because a lot of these festivals, especially like the big ones, especially Coachella, are such like a snapshot of a moment in popular music. And I'm just wondering if they had to push it off like potentially 18 months if they do it in October, like how things might change like on these lineups right. i mean because you know? you're, you're gonna want certain, certain things that are new and hot like do, do you fire people from the lineup if you feel like oh you're kind of old news now yeah i mean like certainly if they were doing coachella this year somebody who is like not really in the conversation in 2020 i mean say like a phoebe bridger right who's now gonna like be on saturday night live in a week or so you know like she's a, yeah exactly she's, like, like, she's a very big didn't... deal and that's happened in the past like nine months right um, Phoebe Bridgers I think is mentioned in literally every episode of the show yeah really I can I can I say I only bring it up because I know she's popular I don't think I've listened to a Phoebe Bridgers song from uh uh I, from I think band. like I'm not really a fan I would say it would be similar to like would you, you struggling to remember what the water you had in a glass at a restaurant was like <laughs> Ooh, burn uh yes i don't i don't know it's it's probably not for me uh i was just reaching for uh what are the kids like these days phoebe bridgers but no i'm, I'm looking i'm reaching for what became popular the name like I olivia miss. something who just has like the number one song like in the country as we record this and she kind of came out of nowhere with that song uh driver's license like me oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that that yes. that's real that's real gen z hours there uh, or stuff like when this was announced, uh, uh, like a hundred gecks were like the second to last line on one of the days, and now I feel like they'd probably be bumped up a little bit because they've become like yeah. a thing. They're the number one hyper pop act. Yes, uh, big big fan. Unironically, I like their I like their stuff. Yeah, and you know, in in time, it'll be so many more gecks, and like you're not gonna have enough space for the gecks. Uh, the gecks are multiplying at an alarming rate. Five million gecks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel like they should every release like change the number of gecks. Yes. Uh, I mean, isn't their album called a thousand gecks? Right. So they're already playing with the uh, the exponential quality of the name. But I feel like you can also like stop. You have it be like five hundred and twenty-three gex. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like how ten thousand maniacs should have increased the number of maniacs as they moved in their career. Oh, absolutely. 
I mean, it would have been very funny if the band 10,000 uh, Maniacs had named their debut album 100,000 Maniacs. Oh, you know what they should have done? Because, like, uh, Natalie Merchant left the band famously. That after that, they should have just taken one out of it. So it would have been like 9,999. Nine, 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 nine. <laughs> Gex on the... Uh, like, Maniacs on the Wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I would like to imagine... <laughs> the band 10,000 maniacs but it like as like a north korean style unified like march of 10,000 people <laughs> all singing uh all singing one of those songs yeah. candy everybody wants yes Chris. but in a gigantic military style parade Chris, t- tell people where they can find you and your things uh i'm on twitter at say what again um my our and introducing is available anywhere you find podcasts as is chapo trap house as is infinite cast i think that's most of my yeah that sounds like all of it well thank you so much for doing this uh thank you uh and before we sign off uh matthew because we were talking about it on twitter the other day any interest in getting a chili outside pint at high dive yeah yeah let's do it over over